Welcome to Invisible Arts with Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony. This episode is called Never Be Home. During the 24 hours of Le Mans, the drivers change tires often as they wear out. And they change to different types of tires depending on road temperature and weather conditions. Rain calls for an entirely different configuration. Never being home requires a lot of tires. By the way, this is the world's longest setup to a pun. A question I am often asked when speaking to classrooms of aspiring film composers or record producers how does one get started in this business? I write the answer on the blackboard. Never be home. If you are at home watching TV or playing video games, you are losing. You are missing the opportunities that can appear right in front of you out in the real world. You must make connections to get hired. Directors and artists hire people, not resumes or composer reels. When I first moved to LA, I didn't know a soul. I rented a studio apartment in Hollywood and acquired a job as a salesman at West LA Music. He's on his way, he's going to Hollywood, he's busting it to Hollywood. Show him the way, he's moving to Hollywood, he's hopping it to Hollywood. I can sell ice to Inuits, but I was the wrong guy for the job. I was the synthesizer specialist, but they didn't carry Moog, which was my favorite synth back then. I used to send people over to Guitar Center on the sly to pick up a Minimoog. I joined a networking organization called the Musician's Contact Service. For a monthly fee, my name was listed in a loose-leaf binder of keyboard players seeking a band, and I was allowed to pour through a binder of bands seeking a keyboardist. This was decades before computers and the PC and all that. Every night after work, I piled my Fender Rhodes, Minimoog, and amplifier in my van and jammed with anybody that would have me. I played with badass funk bands on the wrong side of town and hard rock groups in the flats of the valley. One band I played with was pretty good, but the bass player was amazing. Mark Stevens was only 17 and had more soul already at that age than anybody I'd ever played with. I haven't seen Mark in decades, but strangely enough, I reconnected with him playing Words with Friends online. So I called him yesterday to catch up. <laughs> you and I just hit it off musically right away. I mean, you, the second I started playing, you were like kind of leading into me a little bit, you know, playing, and we're just kind of playing off of each other while we're going through the tunes. And yeah, yeah. You and I talked and we said, let's get together and see if the two of us could just write some songs together. We set up an appointment. I was going to go over and pick you up at what it turned out was your mom's house, right? And you lived in Burbank at the time. That's correct. How's your mom doing? My mom's 86, going on 60. I came over there. Yes, you came over. I remember that. And you weren't ready to go, which I learned later is kind of your style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom lets me in the living room. You know, I met your mom and she says, I'll just have a seat. And I'm sitting on the couch in the living room waiting for you, right? You know, mom gave me a glass of iced tea or something. And I'm just sitting there waiting for you. <laughs> and then out of the... the Friggin' back hallway comes your sister, Shaka Khan. 
she comes walking into the living room. I didn't know you were Shaka's little brother. You hadn't told me any of that, which I applaud you for. You weren't looking to capitalize on your sister's fame. Uh-huh. So it was a complete shock to me. I'm just sitting there on the couch and Shaka Khan comes walking out. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked right at me and she said, held out her hand and said, hi, I'm Shaka. You're Richard, right? And I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Uh-huh. I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And she said, yeah, yeah, my little brother says you're a pretty good keyboard player. He'll be out in a minute. And she left. She walked out with a big grin on her face, and that was it. And so, Richard, at that point, I was grooming you to be an MD, right? I didn't know that. I, I was grooming you because I needed you. <laughs> <laughs> that was how I met Shaka was through you, and it was all because I went and played with this band in the Valley. So you were grooming me then. I didn't know that. You were 17, you know, and all I know is you were a badass. Well, really, really, what what happened is, Richard, okay, what happened is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my my big sister loved me so much, and her career was flourishing, right? Right. We were getting ready to go on this 68-city tour, you know? Yep. She came to me one day and said, Mark, Put a band together for me, right? And I said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I said, what, the, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And so I said, I'm going to I'm gonna need a music director. Preferably, he's got to be a piano player. <laughs> oh, my God. I got to find a piano player that can learn that song, Love is Falling on Me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you saved my ass back in 1978, right? It's mutual, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That was my first pro gig. I had never toured with anybody, right? Well, can, can, can I add a little something to this, okay? Go. Okay. I've never seen you sweat before musically, right? I've never seen you sweat, right? <laughs> I've seen you play some very complicated stuff and not, you know, you taught me to play complicated stuff, right? Uh-huh. But I never saw you sweat until you had to learn the intro. To love has fallen on me. Richard T's stuff was fucking <laughs> insane. It was so hard. I- insane. Like, 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 okay, so love has fallen on me is like Steinway Grand. Yes. And it starts off, and he's heavy on the left hand, but the, the gospel influence on this keyboard part was like tremendous. And we all sat back and say, a white boy can never play this, right? And you were right. <laughs> <laughs> you were totally right. <laughs> Oh, no. All I know is that it won't let me be myself Hey, isn't this really love? Maybe that's the reason it feels so good when you're around All I remember is every night on stage Every night, I could feel the whole band like cringing when we started. I was like, oh, God, here we go. And shock, your, your sister would just endure it. She would just look at me and sing her ass off. But I'm sweating. I sweat bullets every night. i tell you, man, I never saw you sweat to that day, right? Remember, your other sister, Taka Boom, asked you and me to put together a band for her to tour. Right. And for some reason, we're rehearsing and her manager's not paying us. Yeah. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it meant something to me and I think to you. Mm-hmm. And I remember you said, I got this. 
I said, really? He said, yeah, I got this. So we're going to go down to the office and get our checks. I go, really? He said, yeah. So we go to his office, and you had Boo come. Do you remember Boo? Big black Boo? Yeah, the bodyguard, Boo. Yeah. You and I go in to collect our checks, yeah. and Boo sat on a couch in the back of the office. You, were, you and I were up on the, at the desk, like, demanding our money. Uh-huh. And Boo sat in the back. <laughs> And he had those little hand exercise things, those springs, you know. Mm-hmm. He just fixed his gaze on this manager and is just squeezing those things. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy just wrote us a check on the right on the spot. <laughs> and that was because of you. <laughs> oh my god. Never be home. Sit on strange couches. You never know who might walk out of the back hallway. Once it was good that I was home. I spent all of my meager savings from the Shaka tour. I performed my quarterly checkbook balance and realized I was flat broke. My checks were Super Bowl rubber. I sank down in the broken down overstuffed chair in my living room, head in hand. The phone on the floor rings. Hello? Richard Gibbs? Yes. Keyboard player? Yes. Tom Jones is looking for a keyboard player to tour Argentina for two weeks and then to Vegas and onwards. Are you available? Tom Jones, musical director, had literally plucked my name out of the Musicians Union directory, something that had never happened to me before or since. My fellow synthesist on that gig was none other than Jonathan Wolf. You may not know his name, but you definitely know his music. More on that later. Hey, Rich. Is that Jonathan Wolf? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Okay. It's always nice to hear from someone from my deep, dark history. The one time that I was glad I was home was when the phone rang and the musical director for Tom Jones called me, whose name I can't remember. Do you remember that guy's name? Joe Parnello. That's it. I was a wannabe Jan Hammer. I wanted to be Joe Zolinol. Yeah. I wanted to play in Weather Report. That's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was so glad to get the gig and to make the money. But then that meant I was playing, you know, the green, green grass of home and what's new Pussycat every night. What's new Pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's new Pussycat? Whoa. And it just wasn't me. Yeah, it wasn't I, I remember that. That you know, you just weren't weren't happy. I wasn't feeling it. No, I wasn't feeling it. When we arrived in Vegas, the first night, I served notice. I said, I think the next stop was Cleveland. I just don't really want to go to Cleveland. And uh, next thing I know, Tom's manager, Gordon Mills, kind of burst into the dressing room and said, "You can't quit, Tom Jones." <laughs> and I looked at him like, "What?" And he goes, "You're fired." And it's, whoa, if I'm fired, then I could go home right now and you owe me two weeks of severance pay, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, that's in my contract. But if I quit, I have to give you two weeks notice and I work for those two weeks while I'm being paid for it while you find a replacement. He goes, yeah. I said, so which is it? Did I quit or am I fired? And he looked at me and he goes, okay, you quit, but you're still fired. And he told everybody in the band that I had been fired. 
not unusual to be loved by anyone It's not unusual to have fun with anyone But when I see you hanging about with anyone It's not unusual to see me cry I wanna die It's not unusual to go do you remember what happened the last night of the stand at, at Caesar's Palace? No. On the last night of the gig, we're on the stage, the blackened stage, the curtains are down. We're waiting for, you know, the cue to get started, you know, play the warm-up music, and Tom comes down the stupid spiral staircase, and the curtains raise, right? And you looked over at me, hey, you know, when you get back to L.A., um, you might need some work. I've got a phone number for you. There's this guy, they've got this band, and they, I don't know, you know, I got a call, and I, I'm not going to do it, but maybe you'd like to do it. I do remember that. I remember because yep. I wasn't interested in it, but I knew it would be a good fit for you, so I'm glad you took that number. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was Danny. That's right. That's how I met Danny Elfin. That's how I ended up in Oingo Boingo. It was because of you. You handed me Danny Elfin's number. Nobody else did. You did. To your point, don't be home. That's right. That's right. Fly to Argentina or go to Caesar's Palace with Tom Jones, but never be home. You don't have to be rich to be my girl. You don't have to be cool to rule my world. Ain't no particular sign. I'm more compatible with our Jesus. Won't you extra time and your Think I better dance now. Early in my composing career, my then agent, Richard Kraft, convinced his producer friend, Peter Jan Brugge, that I was the right guy to score his next project, a comedy called Clifford, starring Martin Short as the world's worst hellion kid. I appeared to have the inside track, as Richard and Peter had also persuaded the director that I was a slam dunk. I was feeling pretty good about this and was awaiting the call to meet the director. That weekend, my lovely wife Linda had tasked me with something that no dad ever looks forward to, attending a birthday party for seven-year-olds at Chuck E. Cheese. So off we went with Keegan to Chuck E. Cheese. The place was filled with munchkins running everywhere, eating horrible pizza and playing skee-ball. The other occupants were all moms, except for one other forlorn dad. The host mom knew something of my background and, in the tone one usually hears a mom use while saying something like, Why don't you go play with Heather, Molly? She likes dolls, too. She brought me over to a table to sit with that dad. Richard, this is Paul. He's in the business you're in, too. Turned out Paul and I did have a connection. I was the musical director for the Tracy Allman show, and Paul had been one of the writers on that show before I came on board. Our paths had not crossed, as he had left before my tenure began, but we had many stories and laughs to share about the characters creating Tracy's show. Monday rolls around and Richard Kraft calls me. Sorry, we're back to square one on Clifford. Martin Short had the director fired and brought in one of his friends to take over. The new director probably has his own composer. Damn, I thought. I asked Richard the name of the new director. Paul Flaherty, came the answer. I started laughing. What, said Richard? I just met him this weekend at Chuck E. Cheese. The next day, I had a meeting with Paul, and we had another laugh, and I was hired on the spot. 
You know, as it turns out, Paul is not only just a talented writer and director, he was also a professional guitarist and played with all sorts of luminaries. I called Paul to get his recollection of our meeting so many years ago. You know, now that you mention it, it, it's coming back to me. You were a good musician, smart musician, oingo boingo. You had all the credentials. Past tense noted. (laughs) (laughs) But what I remember was that we hit it off right away. Yep. Probably because you were a a real, you know, big-time band musician, and I was a small-time band musician. We played with Ray Charles. That's not small-time. That's about as big-time as I get. Ray Charles brought me in to do some solos. He would sing the solo to me. Okay. And I would play it back note for note. He said, yeah, that's what the old man wants, you know. I, at one point, he said, make it cry, make it cry. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more. What you say? But um, as far as Clifford's concerned, I'm not. I don't know if you're aware. Of it. Clifford has become a a cult classic to a lot of people. Did you know that? No. Yes, it has. Really? You know, they go on the internet and they and they do reenactments. Reenactments from Clifford? Yeah. Never be home, even if you have to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, let's go back to Jonathan Wolf for a minute. What I didn't tell you is what became of him. He stayed on with Tom Jones a little longer, long enough to befriend the comedian that opened for Tom, which led to a life-changing opportunity. Jonathan, press on. Well, shortly after you left, George Wallace became Tom's opening act, and George and I became friends, and I wrote music for his act, and he and I became buddies. And a couple of years later, it turns out Jerry Seinfeld in real life has a best friend named George. It's George Wallace. Okay. You know how I turned you on to Danny Elfman? Yes. George Wallace turned me on to Jerry Seinfeld. And all roads lead back to Tom Jones. <laughs> in this in this conversation, <laughs> it looks that way. It, well, it's true. And that is how I met Jerry Seinfeld and created the theme music for Seinfeld. I was the composer on 75 primetime network TV series. 75? Yeah. 75. 75. I didn't know you did that many series. Not episodes, series. Series. Yeah, not hyperbole. One of those series was Seinfeld. Jesus Christ. So I was busy. No kidding. In case you weren't aware, I retired in 2005. Yeah, I'd heard that. Yeah, I took the money and ran. Uh, at that point, my wife and I had decided that's enough money. What a nice thing to be able to say. Yeah, we had way too many kids. And at some point, it was clear that those kids needed me more than Hollywood needed more of my music. So we picked a date, 2005. 
I checked out and went into Hollywood witness protection. <laughs> yeah, moved to Kentucky and became a full-time stay-at-home dad, PTA room parent, field trip chaperone, sports coach volunteer. And as far as writing new music, it was somebody else's turn. Jonathan Wolf decided to always be home. All those years of never being home had finally paid off. He didn't need the race between gigs anymore. No need for racing slicks. He wanted to slow his roll. He needed soft, quiet tires to drive his kids to soccer practice. So he changed them. He retired. Visible Arts is produced at Woodshed Recording in Malibu, California. I'm Danny Elfman.